I'm Agent Scott. And I'm Cam the Provocateur. And we're from the Spy Hards Movie Podcast. That's right. And you are listening to Pods Like Us, the podcast that has a license to thrill. Hello and welcome to Pods Like Us. I'm Martin Quibell, known to my friends as Marv. And this time I am joined by... Chris Cheney from the podcast Real Film Reviewed. Hey, Chris, thanks for speaking with me. Hey, Marv, I'm really glad to be here. Thank you, man. You went into podcast mode then when you started talking. I did. Because <laughs> <laughs> you've got like this really good drawl almost when, when you say things because it's, um, uh, oh, you, you do it when you're in the show and it's brilliant. It, it's, it's, it's lovely. It's like, it's like a nice, comfortable show to listen to because of that oh yeah i'm glad no i like to kind of give a little vibe give a little intro say hey to everyone like all right let's get into the spoiler free review (laughs) (laughs) i might have to clip that (laughs) (laughs) so what was the first film that you remember seeing um at the cinema oh Honestly, and I, I do actually remember, I don't know, it probably was the first one that I saw, but I was very young and it was Disney's Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, the, the cartoon, the animated version, obviously definitely a re-release because yes. I was born in 88, but it was a, it was a theater re-release and um, I remember being, it was a whole, it was like being on a ride. I remember being just completely enthralled in the uh, in the story and being terrified and jumping over my dad when the queen that had transformed into the older woman had uh, uh, came onto the screen and when she was like cackling I was like ah so <laughs> it was definitely an experience but that's my when I think back on my very first film of uh, in theater that's what I remember <laughs> So what's your actual first film memory then? Because that's probably watching a film at home. Yeah, my very first film memory is probably one of my favorites. And the reason why my mother is my cinematic inspiration is uh, I remember I'll Be Back and Arnold Schwarzenegger (laughs) in The Terminator. And I will never forget when I got a little bit older and I started, I had seen that those movies again, I was so shook by watching the first one because I'm like, I, my mom is like, what's the matter? And I'm like, I thought he was a, I thought he was a good guy. Like, wasn't he a good guy? And she just started cracking up and she was like, yes, I guess I probably shouldn't have started you on Terminator 2. <laughs> But I was like three, so I just had a really good memory, but I just remember he was like the coolest action guy ever. And yes, in the second one, he was a good guy, but in the original Terminator, he was not. So yes. it was uh, it was fun going back and experiencing that. <laughs> shall, shall I duck down and just put my thumb going up, up the screen? Oh. <laughs> just like that. <laughs> yeah. that that's yes. going to be brilliant for anybody who's listening, isn't it? That, you know. We don't know, know what he's right? doing. I know. Yeah. Everybody asked me if I'm on YouTube, and I was like, I don't know if I could do that. But there are some moments where visual is is funny. <laughs> so um, that's how your love of film first started. Out of interest, then, we'll just go on a tangent. 
Terminator 1 or Terminator 2? Oh. It's definitely a hard and the the other part of that is uh I'm I'm a very large James Cameron fan. Yeah. And I know anybody that has not worked with him usually is. <laughs> yeah. But um I'm going to have to go with the first one there just because it establishes a mood that is one of my favorite parts of Terminator 2, which is that that nightmarish vibe in that shot when Sarah Connor is on the floor and she falls in the hospital and she sees him and it's like slow motion because you wouldn't really appreciate the terror that she's feeling like somebody who'd only seen that one you don't understand why esd and this is what she's been building up in her mind for however long she's been in this prison so i'd have to say the first one for establishing that fear and not to mention that it was a uh, since it was a uh, a nightmare <laughs> it literally was inspired by a nightmare um right. i think they achieved that very well in the first one absolutely um, another thing about the first one is, I mean, I, I do like um, CGI in films, but there's something about practical effects which is incredible. I mean, some some people might not realise, you know, that the, the animatronic in there of Arnold fixing the eye is incredible. It's so realistic that... If you didn't know otherwise, you would actually think that that's just prosthetics on Arnold, but it actually isn't. Yeah, absolutely. That was one of the things that, oh, I don't know why I'm bouncing. That was one of the things that uh, blew me away going back and having, after going to film school yep. and being told about that and having that that acknowledgement. It kind of made me think of, what movie was that that I recently saw? Shang-Chi? Where uh, the 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 guy of the really method actor was thinking that the apes from Planet of the Apes were actually riding the horses. He was like, yeah. but they weren't. They were mm-hmm. pretending that they were. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> okay, still no, but that's what it reminded me of. It was just like, wow, it, it blew my mind watching the behind the scenes when I got older and had that appreciation. So I agree. I like CGI when it's not overly over overly used, yeah. but I do. Um, I do appreciate that old school and what they're able to accomplish. I think a lot of films like that are able to accomplish almost a lot more than CGI films. I mean, like uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, the first one. Yeah. I mean, similar. It's, it's a bit like I'm also a lover of films by uh, Ray Harryhausen, who also used, you know, very famously with stop motion. Uh, yeah. and, and I always found that they were, in some ways, the creatures were more... They, they had more of a presence about them because there's, you've got certain movements when you use practical effects like stop motion and there's a certain, it's, it's almost a hyper-realism. It's not real movement, but it almost makes it more scary in a way and more affecting practical effects than, than the almost too realistic CGI. Exactly. I agree. I mean, I'm a, I have like a, side passion of being interested in sharks so <clears throat> two great films that you that you can compare like what are what would my two shark movies that come to mind be well now i, li- I like the meg a lot but yeah. it would be it used to be jaws versus deep blue sea 
yep. deep blue sea super cgi jaws <laughs> nightmare shark yeah. <laughs> yes but yeah big difference it's famous though that with the shark in in jaws which incidentally that's my favorite uh, shark film jaws i think it's an incredible yep, film mine too and yes i'll give props to jaws 2 as well it's got its problems but there's also some good bits to jaws 2 but jaws 1 I, I it's it's great the fact that you know the famously the shark didn't work for the majority of the main making of the film that made the film even better in a way because it gave it an almost um almost hitchcockian sort of feel to it where you know it's there in in, in the background it's there in the under, in the underneath you know under it all bubbling under the surface but that creates a better tension in a way than always having the big bad there constantly it's there's a lot of films like that where you don't actually get to see the first alien did that for instance you didn't actually see the alien until so far through the film and because you've only had glimpses or the the idea of it it makes it more affecting exactly and that was i think what a lot i think a lot of people share that opinion i i definitely share that opinion because as a kid i was more into deep blue sea as an adult, I much prefer Jaws. I love them both, but I loved Jaws. I think it, overall, as a film in general, everything, the characters, everything was was my favorite. And even though I know, I just think it's just so ironic that it was Steven Spielberg's most problematic film because, you know, they, they had, like you mentioned, they had tested this shark in the tank. Everything worked. They get to Martha's Vineyard, saltwater, yeah. <laughs> completely you know, disables the shark. And so because of that, because it wasn't working the majority of the time, they weren't able to use it in a lot of the scenes. And what I did like that they used is they did combine a realistic shark, which looked a lot smaller, but they yep. did, they did really well at modifying it and cutting it and editing it together to where it was, it was realistic and believable that it was the same shark. And we got some actual shark movement in addition to exactly what you mentioned. We just see the little glimpses like that. It made everybody a scene. We're going to need a bigger boat. That yes. little glimpse, all the shark was, it was just a little pop up and then fall down. I mean, the shark probably wasn't even on Yeah. <laughs> in that shot, you know? It's probably a few people either side underneath the water, just lifting it up. That's lifting. Got lift now. <laughs> like this pivot no. <laughs> absolutely so you, you've touched on your um being you know at film school so uh, you are a really from what i've read a really good uh script writer from what from what mm -hmm. i've heard so far because you put you've actually i've heard one of your scripts that you've read or part of it on on your program as a bonus episode so um the, the script writing and the filmmaking history yourself, how did that come about? Yeah, well, thank you. That uh, that means a lot. Uh, definitely my, my own projects, for sure. I certainly wouldn't consider myself a writer, although writing was the very first, I guess, talent that I would say I displayed. Um, I wasn't very, I was athletic, but we weren't really sure if I was coordinated enough yet <laughs> to be an athlete, but I was always very artistic. I was always very into writing 
not, I mean, I would draw, but I was always into, it was my mother. My mom realized how much I really enjoyed films. And she always, she's a film goer herself. She's a movie lover, a film buff. And her stories and her analysis that she would give to me, I, I couldn't wait to watch whatever it was that she was talking about. It didn't need to be a Disney movie. My mom explained The Matrix to me. And I couldn't wait to watch it. And that was the first movie that I watched the behind the scenes footage on. And this was back in the day when it was on VHS and you had yeah. to fast forward through all the credits yeah. <laughs> to get to the bonus stuff. <laughs> and my mom was like, oh, my gosh, you're watching The Matrix again. And then she was like, wait, what is this? And I'm like, it's the bonus features. Hang on. And I'm just like, I was just uh, mesmerized by it. It just was a whole the whole fact that I could create a story and have it have that kind of effect on me I always loved going to movies and loved that every time I came out of the movie I was one of those characters or I'll never forget I was a grown adult when I saw Avatar and when I got into my car after nearly three hours in the cinema I almost it, it felt odd to drive my car like I felt like I was in a you know, it was like I had just been in a, a weird world ride. It was just insane. And in how filmmakers can have that kind of power to transport you from where you're at. And I've always had an extremely vivid imagination. And uh, my parents will say that that got me into a little bit of trouble as well. <laughs> and so I could tell really elaborate stories and I could get into the emotion and, um, I did, you know what everybody did. I started in theater in high school and started doing drama and got really into getting really emotional. I, I was very dedicated to everything I did, stage hitting and stuff. I would I would take the hit. Yeah. And then I got into I really I got into producing um, at 18. I, I knew that that was the direction that I wanted to go was I wanted to be a producer because I looked up to James Cameron at that age, ever since yeah. 1997. And I watched Titanic. I, that, that was the, that was the film that literally, I would say it was a combination of Titanic and, and the matrix, but Titanic was the film that changed me. And, and I knew like, my dad was like, oh yeah, that's the real Titanic in the beginning of the movie. And I went so much further into like the details of every I have a picture of that set that he made on my phone and wow. just how wild that whole <laughs> shooting thing was so that's when I knew I'm like okay I'm not really gonna I mean script writing is a different beast than like the normal writing that I was used to because you have to it's so formatted so there are great tools now that allow you to kind of get through the script a little bit better so I always had a lot of ideas and I wanted to make them come to life but my problem was I could get everything together and I could have my vision, but you had to have something written down yeah. <laughs> for the people to have some direction on. So that's when I kind of buckled down and was like, all right, I'm going to start writing them. So it's always been my thing. I actually started my podcast uh, as a way to kind of generate the interest for my production company. Um, my, my production company is, it used to be real film productions, okay. which is where real film reviewed came from. But I changed it when I became a podcaster because I realized what an enormous passion I have for podcasting and I want to be able to, to continue doing mine and to potentially produce others. So I rebranded and now I'm Real Productions LLC and uh, now I produce my own podcasting stuff. So my my overall 
titles as far as that goes is host, producer, director, writer, editor. Those are all of my all of my wheelhouses. I might have a hand in casting directing, but I won't I will always hire somebody else to be the casting director, but I, I would like to have a little bit of oversight there. <laughs> <laughs> but you have to be able to delegate. Yes, absolutely. Hey, this is Brian with Concert Stamp Madis Podcast, and you're listening to Pods Like Us, a great show about other great shows. Well, you've touched on the podcast history there very well, by the way. So um, <clears throat> the show synopsis, um, it's changed slightly since you began. Uh, yes. So it's you choose a title, so it's either a film. For the most part, you pick a film or a show that's, that's on the television or on streaming or television, and you will give a basic... Um, synopsis of what the film or television show is about uh who's in it who made the made the film or television show and then give your uh unspoiled opinion of the film and a real you know you you call it the real film review you know or rating real film rating and then you'll warn people that then you're going to go into a section where you actually go into the spoiler section so that if people don't want to be spoiled they can actually leave the podcast there watch it and hopefully come back and listen to your uh, spoiler filled later section of the the show and in the hope that you know they might you know it's I think it's helpful this sort of thing because then it's it's like you're talking to a friend that you've been to see a film with because you always do that when you see films with people. You will always rip the films to pieces and, and say to each other, there's this bit that I liked and, oh, I'm not sure about that bit. There'll always be bits that jump out to you where you think oh, it's lost it's lost 0.5% for this bit there or whatever. And so is that a good explanation of what the show is? Yeah, that's, that's pretty much that's exactly what it is. Um, I do try and add and add additional like little segments, which you, you mentioned earlier, my script reads segments. So I'll always have, um, I'll always have different films. Like I, I think on there, I say films, TV shows and limited series. And sometimes occasionally I get asked like, what's the difference between a TV show and a limited series? And I'm like, Oh, I'm so glad you asked. Yes. Cause there's a reason I separate them because there's some shows that are just continuous, you know, Grey's Anatomy yep. and just shows that are on continuously until potential like is it going to end you know now limited series typically have an end date and they they're kind of like a short film so it's telling the whole of something just in the in a limited amount of episodes so there's something that I really that I really found in limited series that I really really enjoy because they're just so they're so good for some, for some reason to me there. I mean, I love TV shows and there's a lot of TV shows that I really do enjoy. I love like breaking bad and things like that. And there's a lot of them that I do love, but there's a, some limited series that come out that are just like really phenomenal. And some of them like that I've already reviewed mayor of East town. Yeah. That one was phenomenal. Another one that I haven't reviewed yet. That is on my list that I will be reviewing at two of them. Actually <clears throat> one is, sharp objects and the other is panic 
And yeah. both of those were limited series and they were just amazing. And uh, definitely wanted to highlight that, that sometimes people don't want to watch limited series because they're like, well, it's going to end and I'm going to be mad because I'm going to want to know more about the story. And I'm like, yeah, but you, there's a lot of movies like that where you're not going to, yeah. there's no continuing story and there's no sequel. It's just, you just get the movie and that's all that you get. So to me, I really enjoy limited series and I like calling those out. I also do do, uh, short films. I had a, the chance to do a short film recently that was submitted to me that's um, not being released until Christmas Eve. So that was really cool. It was the first time that um, I was able to review one of those and <clears throat> where they were okay with it being on the air. Yeah. <laughs> I have people that'll send them to me and they're like, Chris, can you let me know what you think, but don't put it on the air. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, sure. I'll just give you my opinion on it. Yeah, it's, that's totally cool. And I do have, um, just to let you know, I have a couple of things that I'm working on that I haven't released yet to all of my listeners. But um, in addition to script reads, where I read from my original scripts, I am also going to be doing two other segments. Uh, the first one will be director's cuts, and that is going to be films that I would change. So okay. if there was like an ending or something that I didn't like, um, I'm going to do director's cuts. So films that I would change. Uh, I'm also probably not put Dexter in there. We, you know that you would change Dexter if you could, and I would. So I'll probably do films and shows that I would change. So director's cuts. And then I'm going to do uh, casting change, which was inspired by uh, another podcast that I really enjoy where they recast famous movies. And yeah. I enjoyed theirs. Um, but I didn't want to do like my, an entire thing like that, but I do like it as a segment. So I kind of added that. So films that I would remake, but with cast from today. So not necessarily somebody I would have done instead with who was available at the time, but if I were to remake it and who would I cast now, me and my mom played a, a fun little game. I can't remember what movie we, we chose, but I chose some great people <laughs> for who I would pick. And I was like, I'm going to turn this into a thing. So those are a couple of uh, additional segments that I'm going to add to it. Hi, this is Katie of Bad Counsel with some good counsel. You should keep listening to Marv at Pods Like Us. <laughs> I am just taking note of the time we're on. 38 minutes. <laughs> like because I'm... When we pick up and do the well, when we do the pickups, I'm going to bring butterfly effect into that bit there because of that famously Ooh. having so many endings to it, alternatives. Yeah. So we'll bring that into the chat and just put, put, and I'll just put that in, edit that in there when we talk about that. Yeah, okay. that sounds good. I love. I've actually seen all of the butterfly effect movies. <laughs> I think there's three. So have we? Yeah, we've seen all three yeah. of them. We've got them all in a box. They're pretty good. Yeah. The first one's the best. Yes. And possibly, I and I still think that's Ashton Kutcher's best role. Absolutely. I agree. Yeah. To be honest, that was one of my favorites. Uh, one of my favorite I've seen him in, and I'd have to agree. That's my my, my favorite role of, of his as well. Yeah. We'll go yeah. more into that with the pickups. So how do you record the show and then edit it and put it together? So I typically, what I've been trying to do is I try to, um, as soon as I'm done watching something, I will go and write, cause I'll take notes. 
there's things that will come to me. And so I always have a notebook close to me. Like I just watched Cameron Times yeah. and I love Michael Keaton. I love the founder. I love the story, but there was still something that stood out and I'm like, that's why it's so good. And so I will, I'll keep my notes down and then I will, as soon as the film is done, then I'll go to my computer and I will not necessarily write a word for word script, but I will write, uh, I have a format that I've saved as far as my template goes. So I have the spoiler free section first, and then I've got like cast technical details and just any little hits that I, that I normally hit. And then I've got my below part, which is my, my spoiler free or my spoiler discussion in which I might reveal those spoilers. So that's when I'm a little bit more open and that's where I include all of my notes. Yep. So I will usually write out kind of the simplistic stuff first, the stuff that's a little bit easier, or if the film, if I know that I'm getting ready to watch a film, then I will do all the little stuff first. Or if I know I'm going to watch a film that I'm going to review, I should put it that way. Cause I don't know if I'm going to review every single film that I, that I watch. So sometimes I'll watch it. I know I want to review it and I'll watch it. So sometimes I will start the little pieces, like the technical details and stuff like that. So that way when I'm done, I can just be jump right into being creative and like, what did I love about it? What did I hate about it? And it's kind of just whatever, whatever my overall feel is. I don't think I've, I've ever finished a movie and I'm just like, oh my gosh, I hated that. I think that's been maybe twice in my life, but there's, there's some parts during the movie where I'll be like, mm. I wish that was done a little different. <laughs> so if it takes me out of the film, it's always going to be something that I'm going to comment on, but it may not, some, it may not be something that I, you know, crucify the film for. But um, once I've got that all done, depending on if my kid is awake <laughs> or not, yep. then I'll probably go ahead and just at least record the episode, get that momentum, get that passion and uh, just record it nice and fresh. Uh, sometimes I will, because I always record it in two pieces. So I do the spoiler-free version first, and that's one recording, and then I do my my post. So I do that as a separate recording. And so just depending on how I'm feeling, I'll um, record one or the other first, or I'll do them both. And then uh, I try not to edit on the same day, <clears throat> unless I'm recording early in the morning, and then you know I'll be able to release it later on that day so like on a Saturday or something if I don't have a lot to do because I don't want to be careless in my re in my editing because I'm just tired so I'd rather wait and just be refreshed and like okay I'm ready to edit now <laughs> it's interesting you should say that because <clears throat> so I've mentioned in another show before where I came from a sound audio recording background uh, not that my, I mean, my, my podcast belies that because it's not got very good sound. Uh, but, um, but yeah, when we, when we record music, we, it's usually a thing where <clears throat> you leave a space of time between the actual recording and the music and then the mixing of the music <clears throat> to a later date so that your ears are fresh. So in this way, you, you're, you refresh yourself so you can come at it almost from a different angle, but where you've got a few days between or a day or so between actually recording and then editing the episode, it's almost like you can be a bit more, well, how are you with editing? Do you do, you do serious editing or, or are you a bit open with what goes out there? Actually, uh, I, being, being a very particular person, I would probably say I'm, I'm more of a serious editor. 
I'm good now that I'm able to identify. And that's why that's kind of what will stem like some of my posts that you'll see on Twitter. And I'm like, film Twitter, pod nation. Does anybody, can you recognize what an um looks like? <laughs> Cause I can just go and eyeball it. And I always play it first to make sure I'm not cutting out something, but I do. I probably say I'm a lot more particular than a lot of people because what I will do is I will listen. So I'll see the section first. I'll cut all of the spaces down just a little bit at first. And if I need to cut more, I will, but I'll cut all the spaces down first. Then I'll listen to what I can see on my screen, pause it, and then go through and change everything that I want to change and then replay it to make sure that it sounds normal. And that if there's anything if there's anything that sounds odd or sometimes you get that matrix voice where you sound like a robot <clears throat> and that I feel like that happens sometimes when you're when you're doing zoom recordings I haven't really had it happen too much when it's just been me but I'll just I'll I'll edit it and I'll add it back and I'll do it again and so that's that's kind of how I've learned to get really good and I've noticed now how much better and I've noticed that recently how much better I am at the editing process and how much faster and smoother it is with the, the majority of what I've learned and um, I try and make myself faster like rather than editing as I go waiting for the whole section to play and then stopping and editing but I'm like I'm just gonna do it my way if I hear something I'll stop it if not I'll wait so we'll see <laughs> Hey, it's Gil from the Mind Today's Mind Culture and Social Podcast. And you're listening to Pods Like Us. So, um, the show music and, um, have you, have you had clips in your shows? I'm trying to remember far back now as to no. if you've had any clips from films or what. No, not yet. Is it something yeah, you've thought about or because I know I know that you use you use Anchor. So I think Anchor allows you to actually use um things like clips, doesn't it? I would have thought. So so uh, the show music, where did that come from then? And um and uh yeah. So, yeah. What were you thinking of when you when you when you you were looking for music? Yeah, I. So I so initially I did in the very early part of my show I did do clips of like movie clips and things like that. But I read somewhere that I couldn't do that anymore as like a legality thing that you can because we don't have permissions to distribute the film. Like even, even doing scenes of films, I couldn't do like, I know for sure the, the little things and probably a couple of them around that time when I was first starting out, uh, I had a lot. I played like that whole clip because I thought it was great uh, by, uh, J by Jared Leto, <clears throat> but it didn't end up, um, I read somewhere that you can get in trouble for utilizing film clips. So I stopped doing that. But I do like how how you kind of utilize them in your show and uh, how how you place them. So I have wanted to do that and get recorded ones. Regarding the music, I I changed my intro. Uh, somebody had given me some feedback. I did like a little review for my for my pod, and one of the one of the pieces of feedback I got was like, "Hey, you don't use music for your intro anymore." And, 
there was a, a newsletter that I read and there was an advertisement for free cover art um, with the purchase of an intro and outro. And I'm like, people actually pay for intros and outros. So I clicked on it and I, they had a little demo, like a little sample de demo where they just ran through a whole bunch of different sounds and a whole bunch of different openings and intros. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Well, I could do that. So I just ran a search for royalty free and license free music. And I found Pixabay and uh, I just listened to a couple of the main tracks. I did uh, like a little search for like intros and outros. And then I put in podcast, I think. And um, there's a, a guy on there named, well, he goes by Waterboy, Waterboy. And yep. he was the one that did my, uh, that did my intro music. So I just, I selected two files that I liked the best. And uh, the first, the, the first one that I ever listened to was the one that I ended up picking. And I remembered that I was like, well, I can't just pick the first one that I listened to. So I listened to like five or six other ones and I was comparing them all to that one. And I'm like, I like that one. Let me just, I'll just pick that. And it's because it sounds like it's somebody that's flipping around and finding a radio station, exactly how we used to do back in the day where we would hear the static and then stop and land, wait for the music to be clear and then play. And so I was like, yes, that's, that's what I want. I wanted the, the startup and have that, that good little vibe and it's nice and smooth. And during that, that was actually the first time I had ever mixed. So I had never added an audio track or a music track and then added my own vocal to it. I'd never done that on my own before. So that was, and I did it on that recording and I'm like, oh, I can amplify my voice and I can turn this down. Oh, okay, cool. And I just, I did the same thing for the outro. I have a recorded intro and outro. And so that's, that's what I use. Now I have those two files. I am recording a new one for uh, my Christmas episode. So there's going to be some new, um, some new music just for that one. But yeah. So yeah, Pixabay, that's where I go. There's a number of different ones, but I enjoy the, uh, the difference, um, the difference collections that you'd get there i mean that people are all over the world the guy that did mine is in norway so right. <laughs> i was like that's cool i think that's the cool thing though nowadays is that you can do work with people in completely different countries who you've yeah. never met in person it's it's, it's incredible it um, is my show music um christmas related because you've just mentioned you know that you're looking at christmas related music for yours um, I surprised a couple of people because last year when we had a crisp Christmas episodes, specifically Christmas film and Christmas music and whatever episodes we did. Um, and I surprised people because somebody, uh, Gil from the mind was contacted me and he said, he said to me, he said, how did you do that to your theme tune for the opening? Um, and, um, so I mentioned to him, I said, well, I actually did my own music myself anyhow. I created it and recorded it and played the guitars and all the instruments on there. So I said, all I did basically for the Christmas one was I all changed it and played it on different instruments. So it's played on uh, glockenspiel, uh, sleigh bells and other Christmassy instruments as well. Yeah. So that, that's how I did that was I, I just, recorded it all over again playing all the same thing but on different instruments that were christmas based instruments that's awesome that's cool we have a, a little game uh in my job that we that we play with uh with our, our class and our trainees that we're training 
and uh, it changes like they have their intro music, but there's also a Halloween theme in the, and a Christmas theme. And it's essentially it's the exact same tune. It's just with those with those different instruments. So that's cool. I bet that sounds good. I haven't had a chance to hear it yet, but I will. Hey there, this is Bobby with the Rock Guys podcast and you are listening to Marv Smooth on the Pods Like Us podcast. Check him out. So recently you've had Amanda from uh, from Sicklist on as a guest. So how do you actually organize having guests on the show and finding them? Yeah, so finding them is actually pretty easy. I typically post what topic I'm looking for. So I'll say, hey, you know, film Twitter or Pod Nation, usually depending on what I'm looking for. If I'm looking for somebody that's more on the film knowledge side or TV knowledge side versus somebody in the podcasting world, I like to have both in there so that I have some different perspectives. And um, yeah, normally I just make a little Twitter post and Instagram post. And then anybody who reaches out to me or sends me a message, then I kind of just take their their name or their pod down and then reach out to them individually to see um, you know, if they're just interested in, sometimes it's just general, like, Hey, I'm looking for guests to just, you know, come on to talk with me about movies. And in that situation, if it's general, then we just kind of pick a show that might work for them. Or we, uh, I know we haven't done the show yet, but we're working on it. But, uh, David from piecing it together, uh, the way that he and I were going to do it was we basically we're communing the show together that way so uh, the last time that we talked about doing a show it was kind of funny we the um he gave me like four or five films that he was watching and I wasn't planning on watching any of them at least not at that moment (laughs) so I was like that's the first that I came across that I haven't uh that there's been films that I wasn't gonna watch but yeah typically that's how I do it uh organization it kind of just depends on the type of episode so like with Amanda and I, we, we know, we know each other a little bit. So we've, um, we've collaborated a lot, like on Twitter and Instagram and stuff like that. And we've done uh, two shows together. So this was our second show together. So we're kind of getting to know each other and getting our flow down um, in terms of like the different shows, but because we've done two different formats, that also is kind of, uh, it's fun, but, and I don't want to say it's challenging, but because we've done two different formats, uh, there's just different, different things that you got to focus on. So I feel like I talk too much because I'm a single host podcast. So I try to limit my responses. But the reason why I have a film podcast is because I can't shut up about film and TV and stuff like that. So I'm trying to find a happy balance on how to organize that. So today I actually just posted something on Twitter about uh, other people's formats. So what do you, what's your, your favorite format when you have a guest on your show? And uh, because I have so many people that are that do so many different types of podcasts, I can get some good feedback, which will help me kind of decide what kind of format I want to have and, you know, how I want to do that. Because I think um, like Amanda, she's got a great format for her uh, for her show. And uh, when she has guests, it, it works. She always does have a guest, but she has like her regular hosts that kind of come on. But she's like the main host. So I know for her format, it pretty much works all the time and it's um, making it the same all the time um, is a little bit is a little bit easier in that format but with mine because I do spoiler reviews and then I do discussion I've always just been like cool well I'll just have them on to do the post viewing discussion and we'll talk about that so the episode we just did was kind of my very first episode where I had where I had a guest on for the entire episode and we just kind of talked film the whole time 
I did one, the Squid Game episode where, yeah, we, um, I did, I still did the section and then on the post discussion, I brought him on and then we did that. So I've had it, I've had it a couple of different ways. Love ELO? Of course you do. What kind of dim-witted jughead doesn't? Then listen to Face the Music, an Electric Light Orchestra song-by-song podcast. Every week, I, Eric Paul Johnson, and my co-host, Eric Winsensen, take a song by the Electric Light Orchestra, give the song facts, the history, discuss, tear apart, dig deep into the song itself, give our opinions, chart facts about the singles, and we even consult with the future of humanity on their opinion of the Electric Light Orchestra. Ah! So if you don't want to be a dim-witted jughead, then listen to Face the Music, an Electric Light Orchestra song-by-song podcast. Episodes post every Saturday at midnight Eastern Time and can be heard on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Mixcloud, TuneIn, and iHeart. That was stupid as a butthead. So when you're researching, well, it works both for guests and for the films and the TV shows that you're uh, talking about, what sort of research do you actually do on those dip, on the pit, on the guest and on the shows and films you're talking about? Yeah, so the guests, I if it's somebody that I haven't worked with before, or if a show a show that I happen to not uh, I haven't listened to before, then I always listen to at least three episodes if they've had guests on their show, and if I'm guesting, then I like to listen to those episodes. Um, if they're just wanting to do like a collaboration, then I'll just listen to one of their, um, I usually do a combination, but, but, uh, other things that I look for is I'll listen to their, what their regular format is. And, uh, or if there's a show that I'm interested in being in doing a crossover show with, like, you know, our shows would merge pretty well, then I'll listen to their show to get an idea of what their format is and then how it would combine with mine. And most of the time, I kind of just come across podcasts that I'm listening to and I'm like, oh, that would be cool to do an episode with them. So for example, uh, like the, the sip list, because Amanda does the top five lists and, you know, they drink wine and kind of hang out. So what I was, th- so my twist to that was real film reviewed the sip list top five heist movies. So she would, li- we would list off our, our films like we do on her show, but then I gave real views for the ones that, uh, that I chose. So it was a good kind of little combination. We kind of followed her format, but um, still similar to what I did. And then um, like another example, legally judgy is another podcast that I like, and uh, they basically discuss the celebrity court cases and things like that that are surrounding. So my thing was, well, a lot of the time when I'm watching a show or a movie or something and there's some sort of legal element, I'm wondering how realistic that is. Like what if a lawyer is watching this or a judge is watching this or somebody that has an, an understanding and comprehension of the ins and outs of the law, would this be realistic? Would this, you know, so that was cool to me to find their, sh- and that's what I thought their show was. Uh, before I listened to it, I thought that's what they did. I thought they went through movies and were talking about the cases that were in like the fictional cases in the movie. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. And turns out that wasn't the focus of their show, but it was something that I thought would be really cool for my show. So I I think I put together like a list. I reached out to them and um, coordinated a time to to try and work with them at some point. Uh, and then um, just wrote down some ideas. So I wrote a couple of legal films that are my favorite that it would be cool to have a lawyer weigh in on. 
And so I'm like, yeah, I'll do that. So that's kind of what I do. I Sometimes I, I, I'm already listening to a show and I think about how cool it would be to kind of merge our shows together. Yeah. Uh, or um, a lot of the time I just really appreciate somebody's perspective or uh, the way that they, that they discuss the, their topics. And so I'll invite them to mine. Hmm. That, that's, that's a fascinating idea though. That is get, getting, getting lawyers to respond to films like that, you know, would that really be how it works in the courts for, for, for right. real? You know, it's like, um, I think I remember people saying to me or some reading once that, um, CSI is good fun to watch, but it's unrealistic because none of that stuff actually happens that quickly or that easily for that matter. Yeah, that was actually something. It's funny you mentioned that when I was in high school, one of the science classes that I could choose between was a forensics class. And I was like, oh, that's cool, because, of course, like me during that time, I loved CSI. And our teacher was actually a registered CSI. So she worked at the Reno Forensics Lab. I think it was wow. Reno. And uh, yeah, so that was pretty cool. She was, I'll never forget her, Mrs. McCarty Pool. She was like 64 years old and <laughs> she was a jujitsu black belt and all that. So she was super cool. And I remembered uh, for extra credit and she never, she was very, she was a very strict teacher and I think she gave us like 25 extra credit points if we could, um, if we watched CSI, we had, and here's the thing. I think I only did it one time because the, she's seen every single episode. She's like, I'm going to warn you guys. I've seen every single episode. I know exactly what they all did. So don't even try. And I don't, I own all the episodes too. And we're like, okay. She's like, so you can watch the episode and you, there were certain requirements that she gave us, but she, we basically had to tell her what we identified as wrong and how, what the collection practices was. So not only did we identify it as wrong, we had to identify what should have been done instead, which was a really cool extra credit assignment. Uh, when you think about it. So they're using luminol for the wrong thing altogether, are they? <laughs> I mean, my thing was, why don't they ever have gloves on? <laughs> why don't they ever have like hair nets or things on the head yeah. to stop hairs from going onto scenes, you know. Oh, this right. hair here has been discovered. Whose hair is that? Oh, it belongs to that person who should have had a hat on when they were coming to do the uh, fine trace elements. Yeah, and it, it's part of the, the fun thing. I like having a whole bunch of random knowledge that you maybe can gather from other television shows, like you may learn about CSI collection processes and then you watch the OJ documentary and you just lose it at the crime collection, uh, the crime collection team. Cause it's just like, you guys are breaking every pro I can't sit through that. That's the one, the one area of the, of the case. There's two parts of that case that I literally can't watch. And one of them is the interrogation of, uh, Fung. And that, that was one of the CSI guys that was on site collecting uh, blood evidence and stuff like that. And he goes, uh, there's, video, there's video footage of him touching the envelope with the glasses in it with his bare hand. And then on the stand, when he's questioned about it, he goes wrong to do that, wouldn't it? And I'm like, oh, God, <laughs> the second that he did that, I knew it frazzled him because he already he spoke about a a black and white policy as if it were a gray area. Yep. So as soon as that happened, I was like, they're really going to let Barry Sheck, who is the least charismatic attorney, 
rip this guy apart just because of that one razzling question. I was just like, the, uh, the preparate, the witness uh, preparation was not very well done. No, (laughs) I'm not sure who on the prosecution team was responsible for that, but oh my gosh, (laughs) horrible. Sorry. That's my pet case. (laughs) Okay. So how do you choose the topics that you go into discuss, like the films you go into discuss and the programs? That is a great, great question. Um, Honestly, it's really, I don't, I think there's only been one movie in the entire history of my reviews that I watched only because I knew a lot of people were going to be watching it. And as a film podcast, I couldn't, I could not review it. So I did it out of the popularity of the film and that was Space Jam, A New Legacy. And I think after that, going into that, I, I said, I'm like, I'm not going to watch any films for the basis of reviewing them on the show. I'm, I'm only going to review films as they come up. So, but I don't always review films I like, if you, if you know that. So if it looks interesting to me and I'm like, ooh, what's that? I'll give it a shot. And I play it, depending on how it lands with me, I'll review it. If it's horrible, I'll write that it was horrible. If it was... If I loved it, then I'll write that I loved it. But I try to keep my opinion out of it as much as possible. So when I'm doing my film selection, I kind of try to be, I try to, I'm, I'm trying to be more, well, my goal with the podcast initially was to bring viewership to films that wouldn't have been discovered uh, or people wouldn't have heard of them otherwise um, had it not been that. So there's a lot of films on there. I'm trying to think of what my very first one was can't even think of the name of it now what my very first episode was but the name of the movie but it had um the guy in it that was in scream which i'm totally i think it's Liv shriver so he was in it and um it was a film that i hadn't heard of before and it was pretty decent for coming out it had come out in 2019 so i'm like there's probably a lot of films that haven't really got a lot of play like there's for example there's a couple of shows that I haven't had the chance to review yet that I really want to review because I want people to watch it so three of them are the nevers sharp objects and panic okay so all three of those well actually sharp objects and panic are both limited series so those ones are easier I try and do limited series as much as I can because those are they're not anything that anybody's going to have to commit to. And I know a lot of people are like, I don't want to commit to that. And I had the same feeling when I went into the blacklist. Oh yeah. Human capital. There we go. Yeah. Human capital. Very first one. That's right. So thank you. <laughs> that was, that was bugging me. I'm like, what was the name of that movie? But I knew it would bug you. That's yeah. why I looked it up. <laughs> I know it, that's the, always the one, the, when I think about that one, the film that comes up for me in my memory is worth. And I didn't do, I think Worth was the last review that I did before I changed my format. Um, if not, if it's not that, then that's the first film that I did where I um, where I had changed the format. But that's always the one that I think of first. And I'm like, no, that wasn't that was a new movie. That was Michael Keaton. <laughs> but a lot of people didn't watch that. And it's not really a big thing on Netflix anymore. But Worth was fantastic. Wow. And it was a good um, I think people were trying to it came out uh around September. And, uh, there was a, I think there were two September 11th documentaries that came out yep. around that time. And then this film came out, but it was really interesting. What worth was about was 
Michael Keaton was the um, he played the attorney that was responsible for coming up with the amount that the families were going to get yeah. uh, for the people that were uh, that were killed in, in the towers in the 9-11 attacks. And the when you think about it, that's pretty amazing because you can't issue. There's got to be so much that goes into that. And there's the, the clip of the film that he says is like, well, my my daughter was this and this. And he's like, well, my son was a firefighter. Are you saying, you know, like the, his life is worth more than that? And they're like, no, but their mortgages did differ. And it was like, you know, the people were like, how dare you and getting upset. But yeah. when you think about it, the realistic nature of it, this was a job that had to be done. There was money that needed to be awarded to these families. And it's very, very true that there are, you know, my living situation is different from somebody else's. Like our income levels are different. And because of the tragedy of how big those buildings were, and because of how many people were were impacted, there was people that were on the planes that didn't even work in the building. And then you've yeah. got people that were janitors in the building that were CEOs. They're yeah. in the same building. So how do you come up with a number that's what their life is worth? You know, so it was to me, there was there was a no it was no sale sale needed. I, I watched it. I was like, Michael Keaton. Interesting story. I'll give it a shot. So <laughs> that's kind of my thing. Really, I, I don't I guess I should say I don't have an organization for the films. I have so many that I want to review and I just make lists. So as the new ones come out, I do try to release newer stuff and that's kind of been what has delayed my older stuff. So like the nevers that came out like early of last year. So that's, I'm at least a year late on, uh, on reviewing that from its release date. So sometimes I like to do things after right after the release date, uh, because I know a lot of people are watching it or a lot of people are considering watching it and they're like, mm, let me see what Chris thought first. I'm like, yes, see what I thought first. <laughs> so like I haven't done the Matrix Resurrections and I'm that script is already written. <laughs> I just haven't recorded it. Okay, I'll look forward to that one because we haven't seen that one yet. That's our, That'll be the next one. I'm working on that. That's the one that I'm going to re- release before I um, I'm, I'm only going to go on pause for about a week uh, just to take some time to focus on um, Chris of all trades, which is my, my second podcast that I'm launching, but uh, I am going to release matrix Re- um, resurrections this, uh, this week, hopefully uh, okay. let's see. What is it? Wednesday. Yeah. Hopefully by sat by Saturday, I'll have it out, but yeah, I think my review will give it, it wasn't, it wasn't bad, but it wasn't, so I, I'm one of those people that thinks after what, cause I watched all of them and uh, after watching all of them and loving that story, I would have been okay if they stopped it after the first one. I don't think I would have been too bummed out if second, third and fourth weren't made. <laughs> no, no, it was no. a bit much after a while. Hot take for everybody out there. If you want something decent, that's matrix related, but not the first film is to go out and watch the animatrix. Yes. And a lot of people that had watched that or played the game or whatever, they weighed in, they they had a different opinion and it hit a little bit differently for them uh, than for just the people that watched the Matrix movies. So and I never watched Animatrix. So that uh, that may make a lot more sense um, because I know I know the basis of the new film and okay. I, I can understand why Animatrix would make would make some sense. Uh, I would just need to see what the, what that's the, uh, that was the animated series, right? 
That's right, yeah, which is sort of very... Well, it is anime because it's made in Japan. Yeah. Hey, this is Jack from Bad Counsel. You want some good counsel? Keep listening to my man Marv from Pods Like Us. So I'll just say, what an incredible resurgence for Michael Keaton recently. His career has gone... I mean, it was at a good good level, really, where he had this steady career going, but suddenly he's just gone up in incredible ways. Yeah, with, he's with in a he's lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I enjoyed, and he won an um, Oscar not too long ago. I really enjoyed Birdman. That was pretty good. Yeah. Um, it wasn't it wasn't what I thought it was going to be, but still a decent, still a great, uh, amazing film, obviously. I mean, I was... I don't want to say I was surprised because thinking about the other movies that it was going up against, it was, I would say on its own, it was a little bit of a surprising film to win best picture, but yeah. it was still decent. I think the, uh, with everybody that uh, when, when you see a movie like that, it's kind of like, okay, this, that movie winning best picture leads you to believe that the majority of the Academy has a, an entertainment background because that film was selected by film people yeah, and for yeah. film reasons, because it had uh, just like the artist. And I loved that the artist won best picture because it was a silent film that was, you know, black and white and all that. And so it was supposed to be this, um, it wasn't a hundred percent silent, but the, the way that they went about that and did it was pretty cool. But the the other reasoning why a lot of people really loved that movie is because they understand what that path is like when you were really really famous and then you're kind of not super in the spotlight anymore but still kind of famous and i think both of those films were i mean the artist was a little bit more tragic because he wasn't just no longer famous he was becoming obsolete and uh, I think that was something that a lot of people didn't think about in the film industry when movies moved to talkies, uh, how how that was going to impact people's performances, because there's we, we know them as what we would consider slapstick com- uh, comedians. So like Lucille Ball, Jim Carrey, even Jack Black, you know, stuff like that. So those are kind of the physical comedy people. And when you think about the performances back in the day when it was silent films versus talkies, it's more, it was more, it was kind of moving into, okay, now the dialogue needs to be really good because now people are, now we have the ability to hear. So now the dialogue, the story, not the story, the dialogue, the written word is more important in a talkie film versus you were telling the story with your motions, with your body language and with your actions so I can see why somebody that did really well in silent film may not necessarily translate well into talkies. And I know one of my favorites is uh, Charlie Chaplin. Yeah. And um, I don't think I would have got the same kick out of, out of the kid if he was talking. <laughs> no, no. Although I will say that uh, one of his talking films, uh, uh, Limelight, I think is a beautiful film that he is in. When he, when he, I think that was made in the 50s, and that's yeah. a fabulous film because, yeah, it's, um, yeah, I don't really know how to explain it. So he's a, uh, he's from the old vaudevillian sort of music hall past, this character that he's playing. Uh, but 
I think he falls in love with a ballet dancer, doesn't he? I think, or something or other. And it's all it's about been so long. I think, yeah. I thought she was a ballet dancer. I think so. I think so. Um, but you've also got in there in that film, you've got the first um, first performance of the song "Smile," which incidentally Charlie Chaplin wrote, which is a beautiful song. Know, he wrote a lot of good music too, which I loved. <laughs> but it's interesting. So two things from that, though, with uh, just as a tangent with the the artist. Uh, number one. It's similar in a way to my favourite film of all time, which is Singing in the Rain, where that too broaches the subject of the transition from uh, silent movies, as we call them now, to talkies, Um, which incidentally, I mean, the reason why why there's the phrase motion picture or movies, that comes from the fact that they were moving pictures. Yeah. Even back then, they were called moving pictures or motion pictures because it's a picture that moved. Motion, and then you had yeah. like the dialogue that was sort of like suddenly on the screen and then it to carry on with. So talking pictures added a different thing to it. And, yeah, I think the both films that, um, that really um, push home how different that was. But the artist in films like that, do you think, in a way, it, it is a case of the the Oscars are, for the most part, chosen by people within the industry, so they will be more inclined towards the more artistic side than the general public. And that's a great, it's a that's a great a great point, a great question. The my thing, so I always say that I have. Yeah, uh, I have a love-hate relationship with the Academy. I try not to voice that because one day I will be at their mercy, but (laughs) that's okay. I don't, I'm never, I'm just like, I don't do things for the purpose of my show. I'm never going to make a film based off of how it's going to be, how it's going to do at award ceremony. Like that's never going to be a motivation for me to make a film. But what I have noticed about the Academy is that it can go, Either way. And so in situations like Birdman and the artist winning best picture, that is that is my artsy fartsy side all day. Like that's my type of when I consider Oscar films, those are the kinds of films that I'm thinking about. Those are the films that I'm talking about. I'm not talking about Marvel and whatever. (laughs) And I like those movies, too. I don't mean to like, you know, because everybody's like, like, I know you think that the superhero movies are crap. And I'm like, no, 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 I don't. I love, there's Mm. very few movies that I think are just horrible unless they're just horribly horrible films, but uh, I don't have any favorites or anything that I pick and choose, but I always bring up the 2009 Oscars, uh, which actually they were the 2010 Oscars, but it was for the films that were released in 2009. Yeah. Don't know if you remember all of the films that were nominated, but this was the year that Sandra Bullock was nominated for Best Actress um, next to the the streeper, Meryl Streep, for uh, Julie, Julia, Julie and Julia. And yep. she was up for the blind side. So there was a lot of upsets that whole night. And this was also the year that Avatar was nominated for Best Picture. And... I am, like we've discussed, the world's biggest James Cameron fan, most likely. And I was 
absolutely devastated and completely I was fuming at the end of uh, when when we finally got to Best Picture because I knew when Best Director was awarded to Catherine Bigelow because typically Best Picture always goes to you know the director that directed yep. the Best Picture and when it was Catherine Bigelow over James Cameron I almost I know I dropped something I don't remember what was in my hand but I dropped something and I almost fell over because I couldn't I couldn't and I was so salty that this was the ignorant statement that I made. Uh, because of course, shortly after that, uh, Catherine Bigelow won for best picture for the Hurt Locker. Yeah, I am a former explosive ordnance disposal uh, sergeant, so that's what I did when I was in the Air Force. And so I, I had the job that was as closely related to that job that Jeremy Renner had, yeah. and I thought that movie was completely unrealistic, and I hated it because it was what I did in the military, and it was. It was complete. I mean, I had to I broke from my my movie thing and like, OK, Chris, movies aren't meant to be 100 percent realistic. G'day, g'day. This is Matty C from the Astros Fantasy Football Podcast way down in Australia. And we love getting to listen to Marv meet new podcasters from all over the world here on the Pods Like Us podcast. Yeah, I can understand that completely. So um, what would you suggest to people who wanted to make films or get involved in the film industry itself? Advice I would give to people wanting to start out into the film industry would be to, it kind of depends on what it is that you want to go into. A lot of people have a certain idea and a certain passion that they kind of follow. And like for me, I had a natural gift for editing and catching little things that were I guess, stand out to me, uh, things that were like continuity errors, scenes being cut together where the scene didn't match before and just different things like that. I would catch really easily. It would stand out to me. But at first I wanted to be a producer. And so I just added editing onto that. And pretty soon I wanted to be James Cameron, a producer, director, editor and writer. And really, it's kind of the same as when you're interested in a lot of different things and people tell you to go to school and you're nervous because you don't want to narrow it down into one thing. If you can just learn a little bit about the industry or the field that you want to go into, the equipment that's needed and anything that might be needed for industry purposes, you can really be your own boss. I went into it to be an independent filmmaker because I lived in LA and I knew how difficult it was to break into the film world from that end. And I didn't necessarily want to be an actor. I had done acting classes and I'd been in things and acting was kind of a a natural thing for me, but I didn't care to do it professionally. It wasn't what I was interested in. I was interested on the other side of the camera. So sometimes school is necessary to just train you into the things that you need technical training on. Most of the time you don't need school. And 2017, Tangerine won Sundance and it was entirely shot on an iPhone. So there's a lot of different things. If you know the skills and you know what you need to get, there's a lot of different things that you can do on your own at low cost. Yeah, absolutely. So um, what advice would you give to people who are starting a podcast for the first time? Advice I would give to someone starting a podcast would be to obviously do a little bit of research on podcasting platforms. I know that Anchor is free and 
Podbean is the one that I use. I use both Podbean and Anchor, and I'm sponsored and I'm I'm sponsored by Anchor, and I'm an affiliate with Podbean. So I do have uh, links that are on available on my website for people to utilize and get discounts through when they start. Podbean is fourteen dollars a month, and you get everything that you need for it without time limits or file limits or anything like that. Like a lot of platforms I know will charge you more depending on how much content you upload in a month and that's to me I don't really care for services like that Descript is like that as well it's a good free transcription service however there is going to be a delay on your transcriptions unless you pay for more time um, each month for your transcripts so it really just kind of depends on the length of your podcast and things like that when you start branching out but really to start you want to research a good podcasting platform another great one is buzzsprout i know a lot of people that use them and they have a lot of great services available they are a paid service but they're pretty good and if you don't go with buzzsprout they do still have a YouTube channel that provides wonderful instructional videos, equipment videos to show you what the basic equipment is, where you can find it. They have a lot of great things for people that are just starting out in podcasting and videos in terms of equipment and things like that. I found a lot of my equipment from the videos that I watched on Buzzsprout and I didn't break my pocket to do it. So that was pretty cool. Uh, Podcasting Network is another great source. Uh, that's Pat at Podcasting Network. He's uh, on available on Twitter and he has a website and everything too. I think it's podcasting podcastingnetwork.net, I think, or .com. I have to check. But it is uh, on my previous episodes. They did uh, He did transcripts for me and there's a lot of other services. But he posts a lot of things on Twitter and a lot of great tips. And on his website, you can find a lot of great tips as well. Really, the podcasting community is very strong, and I got into the community via Twitter, and I always advise people, if you don't have a Twitter, start one for your podcast and start a personal one. You can call it a host page or whatever, but it's just good to have one for yourself and one for your podcast as well. You have double the opportunities to share your episodes and reach different audiences and different people and things like that. If you've got friends and family on Twitter, you can have that with your personal one and you can share things there and then you can have your podcasting one and you can do things through your podcast. And that's important too. It's good to have two. I know a lot of people that have one, but it's just good to have a little bit of separation. Sometimes you may not always want to state your opinion on something that you see online as your podcast because you're kind of that image for your podcast. So you want to just be posting things that are relevant to that. I mean, you can post whatever you want. I'm just saying for me and the reason why I see value in having two is I can control the content on both sides and I'm always 100% myself on both. I just, there's a time and a place for certain things and responses and online stuff can get easy to get sucked into. So that's what I would recommend. Uh, Amazon is a great place to get the equipment. I bought everything that I have on Amazon, including my desk. So uh, my microphone, my headphones, my uh, the arm that I have that goes onto my desk, my desk, my laptop equipment. So like this stuff, I have a, a cooling pad and I have a separate monitor. It's actually a a sidetrack monitor that can clip onto your mon- your laptop monitor and it's basically like the same size so it's a portable 
monitor that you can use. Very, very helpful when you're doing live uh, podcasting or if you're going on location to podcast, depending on what kind you want to do. That's very, very valuable. If you're somebody that doesn't like to do things on one screen, <laughs> I like to do things on multiple screens. So that's very helpful. And um, foam for uh, soundproofing and things like that, speakers, everything like that you can find on Amazon. Uh, one of the biggest tips that I give everybody, because it was something that I learned is the difference in microphones and I did learn that in film school in broadcasting and sound design the difference in microphones but when you're recording and you hear yourself it's very you get that almost that live or that hands-on experience you're like oh now I understand the huge difference in what it sounds like so uh, in terms of microphone it's very helpful to have a USB microphone I have a USB uh, XLR dynamic mic and that was what I was going to say is dynamic mics are a little bit better for me, in my opinion, for podcasting because dynamic mics pick up a lot less background noise and they really only pick up what you directly speak into it. And you don't need to be sitting very close to it. You do need to be sitting kind of close, but uh, to get the better sound quality, you can uh, you can, can kind of control your spatial awareness with that versus a condenser mic, which is what I was using, and I, I'm a, a corporate trainer at work, so I, I basically talk all day long, and I got that microphone to kind of help with my sound quality, and I didn't realize how much background noise it picked up, and it did amplify my voice, but it didn't give me the effect that I really wanted, because when I tried to use it for podcasting, it was picking up my AC turning on and off. And <laughs> I was like, there has to be another way that we can go about this. So I switched to a dynamic mic and I get questions all the time. Like, what kind of mic do you use? Because I get almost no background noise, if any at all. So dynamic mic over condenser mics. Agreed. So what other shows do you listen to then, Chris? Well, for time purposes, I'm just going to list off three that I most commonly listen to. I'll start with the indie podcast first. I listen to Pods Like Us. Thank you very much. <laughs> of course, as well as The Sip List with Amanda. I know you know her. Yeah. And I also listen to, I don't, it's not actually really a mainstream podcast, but it was the podcast that inspired me to start mine. And that is Straight Up with Trent Shelton. And that's a basically a motivational type podcast I guess he kind of just freely speaks on certain topics and gives you motivational things that you can take and skills and activities that you can do to apply to your life cool. he's a former Trent Shelton is a former NFL receiver and he doesn't do that anymore obviously and now he's kind of a motivational speaker he wrote a book and that's more of what his passion ended up being when the NFL was kind of done and for me, being an athlete, I suffered an injury that got me into kind of a depression because it limited me from something that was so important to me that I not only had monetized, but uh, was my outlet and my passion. So it was taken away from me with my injury. And with your, when you're injured and you have multiple surgeries, it can be hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel. And I was looking around for sports psychologists and I just needed to talk to somebody who had gone through this same thing who had had their careers ended because of physical limitations and 
I just needed something that was going to help. And insurance didn't cover a lot of it. Yeah. And my cousin had told me about straight up with Trent Shelton before. And he does a lot, not just through his podcast, but to engage and to help the people that listen. And well, everybody, but uh, really that's um, he has activities on each of his episodes and different things that he'll challenge us to do. And it's really good. It gives you kind of a purpose every day. And so that was one of the the first ones that I listened to. So I didn't want to leave that one off. That's great. Thanks. So um, where can people find you and get hold of you? People can find me and get a hold of me through my website. That's real-film-review.productions. I'm also on Twitter at realfilmpkc. My host page is at solo underscore 32. And that's S-O-L. Wait, S-O-U-L-O. <laughs> it's, a, it's linked on my podcast page. That one's easier <laughs> to find that. I'm on Instagram under Real Film Reviewed Podcast. My email is klchaney at real-film-reviewed.productions. And pretty much my website has a place where you can contact me. There's actually a place for you to schedule up to 15-minute meetings with me. And they'll, uh, my I, I update my schedule very regularly. And so you can, uh, there's times that... Uh, you can go on there and block out to actually set time with me and speak with me. I'll probably reach out to you prior to that meeting, but that's another thing that you can do to get a hold of me. You can sign up for the email. You can just shoot me a message through my website as well. And uh, I also have various links throughout that site. Anyway, thank you very much for speaking to me today, Chris. Thank you so much for having me, Marvin. I appreciate you being so flexible with the time I know uh, me being in the states and working Monday through Friday kind of an opposite schedule from you I do appreciate uh, you reaching out and uh, for having me on I love it and thank you to everybody for listening you can find pods like us on Instagram Facebook Twitter and TikTok just by looking for pods like us and there's also a website, which is themarvzone.org. And we have a Patreon, which is patreon.com forward slash pods like us. Anyway, thank you everybody for listening and I hope you listen again to another episode of Pods Like Us. <laughs>